I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Mahi Cheshire about her psychological suspense debut, Deadly Cure. Mahi was born in Sri Lanka and has lived in London since she was four. She works as a GP and has a degree in psychology. Her work has been long-listed for the London Writers' Award and selected for the Rewrite Academy 2020. In this episode, we discuss how working a night shift as a junior doctor inspired her, the twists that came as a surprise, and how she uses little pockets of time and word sprints to fit writing in around her life. But first, here's Mahi with an excerpt from Deadly Cure. October 6th. Last night I heard a noise outside the apartment. I went to the door and looked through the peephole. At first all I could see was a corridor, dark and empty. I was about to draw back when something moved out there. A shadow. Then I couldn't see anything more. Just black. Someone was there. They had covered the peephole. I backed away from the door, my heart going like I'd sprinted a mile. I had to get out and the door was no longer an option. The balcony and windows were out of the question too from the ninth floor. I ran into the kitchen and called the police. Said there's someone outside. I think they're trying to get in. I grabbed a knife from the kitchen. There was nothing left to do but wait. Defend myself if it came to it. It can't have been more than a few minutes, but it felt like hours. Standing alone in the dark living room, my heart thumping in my ears, my breathing loud and ragged. Knowing someone might be trying to get in. There was a slamming noise, like the letterbox shutting. Then quiet. I stood there, not daring to check it out yet. The silence continued. After a few minutes, I approached the door. An envelope lay on the mat. Inside was a note in unfamiliar handwriting. Three words in block capitals. I'm watching you. Hi, Mahi. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to talking about your debut novel, Deadly Cure. Oh, thank you so much, Chloe. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. And as I've already said to you, I was in my garden reading this absolutely gripped. So can you share with us the plot of Deadly Cure? Yeah, so it's a psychological thriller. Um, so it's been described as Grey's Anatomy Gone Wrong, and I would say that is the vibe. That is amazing. That is such a good tagline. 
yeah, I, I like it. Um, so it's it's about two medical school best friends, Ria and Julia, who they're also serious frenemies. They've been competing their whole lives since they've known each other, and they fall out over competition for a dream job researching a cancer vaccine. Um, both of them use kind of underhand tactics to try to get it. Uh, Julia does, and then so they fall out. But after she makes a major breakthrough in the job, she's found dead, and Ria becomes a prime suspect. And Julia's death sort of comes up, I guess, about maybe like a third of the way through the novel. And then after that, we have uh, Rhea kind of doing her own little investigation, I suppose you could say. Yeah, investigation while well, I suppose being investigated. Yeah, mm, yeah exactly. Yeah. Trying to find out what exactly happened. Um, but there's unreliable narrator things going on as well. Mm. So hopefully you're kind of questioning, did she do it? Did you? So hopefully there is a mystery around that as well. Yeah. So I was wondering whether you could talk a little bit about the inspiration for the novel, because your career as a doctor must give you kind of hundreds of ideas while you're working. But what was it about this story and this idea that stuck with you that made you think, okay, this is going to be the one, this is going to be my novel? Yeah, so this story, it's been in the works for a little while. It has changed. So there was... Um, it started off as more like a new adult kind of novel with a light kind of um, suspense subplot and then it changed quite a lot. Um, I would say with my job, although you'd think that there'd be lots of inspiration there, I've never, I've never write directly about things I've seen because it mm. would just be like, it's, it's kind of feels really wrong to do that. So it's more like anything that I would write be loosely inspired by something. So in this case, it was a hospital that I worked at quite a few years ago as a junior doctor and it had a lift in it with a secret floor um, that you could oh, wow. see. Well, <laughs> I thought, what, what is down there? Why can't the rest of us go down there? I think some porters could go in there and that was about it. Um, it was probably like the car park or storage or something. <laughs> really, like, it was probably something really, really boring. Yeah, but yeah, it's spun a, it spun a novel idea. <laughs> yeah, I was like, thinking, what could be down there? Why are they hiding it? Um, and then at that time, I was doing a lot of night shifts as well. And it's a bit of a different atmosphere at nighttime when you're like walking between. When you do junior doctor's ward covers, you go like in between the wards. Sometimes you're by yourself. And like not the usual hustle and bustle that would be there. So there's this kind of um, liminal, slightly creepy atmosphere at nighttime. So those that kind of inspired the vibes of the kind of nighttime mm. things that go on in the story as well. Um, and when I said so when I had the original version of the story and then it changed and there was more focus on the suspense subplot, but the prologue was always the same. Like I really um, it's almost word for word the same in the final version. So that really captured me that idea of the, what happens in the prologue. So and then, yeah, quite a lot of it actually did stay. Um, so there were certain things that really um, captured me and like really made me want to write about them. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it's more of kind of a sense of so it's a small small thing like the basement and just like a sense of the vibes of nighttime at the hospital and things like that yeah that's definitely one of the kind of unnerving elements of the novel that I think we won't spoil what goes on down in that basement but things are going on down there that um add to that kind of suspicious side of your story as well so what is it that appeals to you about psychological suspense and or thrillers how did you kind of what was it about that genre that really appealed to you? 
So for me, I think it's quite a fun one to write because you can really play with uh, structure, you can play with points of view, you can switch around, you can do a lot of things that maybe in other genres you're not supposed to do, like head hopping and all sorts. So you can have really short chapters of just a paragraph, you can do what you like. So uh, in order to kind of play with what the reader is thinking and to make them think other things, misdirection, stuff like that. So all of those I found really interesting. So it's quite a fun thing to write um, in that way for me. Um, and then you can also have things like unlikable characters, for example, like you don't necessarily have to like, root for them mm. in order to enjoy psychological suspense that you like the way you would in another genre. So you can get into kind of the psychology of those kind of characters and things and why they like that and stuff. So there's a lot um, as a writer that you can get into, I think. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about kind of your character motivation and the kind of the, the psychological element of it, because when you're writing something like this where your characters have they have to have such strong motivations so how did you kind of go about working out what they were striving for and the lengths they were going to go to I suppose to achieve their ambitions so yeah I, I had the character ideas but as you say the motivations I had to really think about them um they didn't come initially and I'd have them doing certain things and then it would be like but why are they doing that so what I did was try to work backwards and think about what would make them like that so say um with Julia she, she's quite a ruthless character in my original version of the story there was a hospital boss like CEO lady who was very ruthless so I kind of gave some of that to Julia and then I tried to think like why is she like that and what's in her background so then there's this whole subplot with her sister I won't give her too much away but what's happened there has given her very strong motivation to kind of want to do this job um and yeah to do research and things like that um yeah because they're very the very first kind of versions of this story she, Julia wasn't really hardly in it she was a very minor character. Um, she just kind of died in suspicious circumstances and didn't really know much about her. So I really had to start um, thinking about her a lot for this version, which was going to be more focused on the two women. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, what, yeah, for all of them, I kind of worked backwards and thought about what could have happened when they were younger and their past that could make them that way. Um, with and to make it distinct as well because they couldn't all have a really similar reason because they're all going for similar things but I had mm. to make things distinct so yeah um with one of them there was a right random writing exercise like a writing prompt that I think someone sent me about something like a character writing on a wall <laughs> like that and when I started doing it for one of them it came out like they were writing how they wanted to be remembered um and they wanted to really make sure they did something big um so yeah, things like that, like random writing exercise, just kind of free flowing, um, free writing type of things mm. also help. So do you, do, you, do you find that you like doing writing exercises and writing prompts that kind of help you to, I guess, get the creative juices flowing? Do you do that as like a little warm, warm up activity before you write or is that something you do to generate ideas? it's not something I do that often uh, I definitely don't do it as a warm-up usually I just start uh, but it, the creative right these kind of exercises are things I do when I'm stuck so that will tell you like I was having some trouble with figuring out the motivations <laughs> and these characters so I think that's how I ended up on it um, and they do help in that way if I'm a little bit stuck a bit blocked um, just different ways of thinking about things can you tell us a bit more we've spoken briefly about Julia already she's a really 
ruthless, devious character. And right at the beginning of the novel, which, like we said, she's uh, she goes through to extreme lengths to get the, the job that she wants. So can you talk to us a little bit about this dynamic between her and Rhea then? Because the, the novel centres at the beginning, certainly on their kind of very fierce rivalry between them. So can you talk a bit about their relationship? So their relationship is a bit um, it's a bit complicated because there is a fierce rivalry between them. And there's also a lot of kind of, I think it was jealousy, really, because so I, I did say that Julia is she's always been really bright. Everything's just come easily. It seems it hasn't, but it seems like it's come easily to her, especially work things. So from Rhea's point of view, it looks like it has, even though she has lots of problems in her kind of personal life. Uh, work-wise she kind of sails through whereas Rhea has um, so I don't want to give too much away but she has a medical condition that makes it a lot harder for her um, but she so she feels like you know Julie's had it easier and Julie's helped her as well a lot mm. um, but it, even despite that so she's grateful to her but she's also quite I suppose resentful of the way that she has feels she has had to work harder um, so there's all of that and then because of that she has this need to prove herself um, so both of them want to prove themselves for different reasons um, and it just comes to it where even though in the past their relationship has been a lot closer like the I suppose the negative elements of the relationship get more and more pronounced as they work closer together um, and then finally with this job it kind of blows up so they're both doing underhand things to get it so it becomes that their work or their ambitions are more important than their friendship. Mm, definitely so I want to talk a little bit more about the hospital setting because obviously you're a doctor and it's something you know an environment you're very familiar with and very high pressured environment and great for this novel because the stakes are life and death really so what was it like to write an environment that you're familiar with when you kind of live it every day in your job I would say when I wrote a lot of it I was so I'm a GP now so I haven't been in hospital medicine for a few years so when I wrote this like final draft of it I wasn't working in the hospital anymore I was working as a GP so I did have some distance from it and I think that does help because otherwise <laughs> yeah. it feel like you're working you all day in it and then you're like uh, writing mm. about it as well um but I did do that said I did do some of it when I was doing like hospital-based jobs and I think the plot often goes, I wouldn't say it's realistic and that's intentional. It's not a realistic <laughs> scenario that we have. Seen. It's very much like an escapist um, kind of a uh, read. So, and I, th- I think that's also a way of me creating distance from what I was doing. Mm. I don't think I could ever write a really like, really realistic thriller while working in the hospital. And a lot of paperwork, I imagine, as well in the novel, which isn't very exciting. (laughs) Yeah, that would be, if we're being realistic, yeah, there'd be a lot of paperwork. There would be like a lot of admin phone calls. Mm. Yeah, really boring stuff as well. Did you find it um, difficult to kind of balance that reality and the escapist side of it? Because I imagine there's times where, particularly when you're imparting your kind of medical knowledge that maybe you were telling they were saying too much or your editors maybe said you were not giving up enough did you find that a difficult balance or because you were writing something escapist that didn't really matter so much 
For me, because I am medical, it was important to keep as much of it accurate as I could. Even though it's escapist, there are bits where if I talk about it, I try to keep it at least hypothetically possible. Uh, so I did research it quite a bit for that reason. Um, I got some of my medical friends and various specialties to check certain bits of it. So I've tried to keep it as accurate as I can. Um, and when we were doing edits and things, my because as authors, it's sometimes hard to see how other people understand our work. So the editors were saying they really liked the way some of it, uh, say the medical content was broken down so that they could understand it. So there's, I think there's a scene where they're looking at some lab reports and they're trying to figure something out. And then I'm kind of talking through. And although it's not real, what because there is these leaps of scientific imagination, I suppose, in that scene. But still, like, I've tried to keep what is possible to be accurate that way. So the editor was saying, like, it's, they like the way that it's explained so that you can understand. So I did try as much as I could. Um, and there are some things in it that are true to life, like with cardiac arrest scene, things like that. So those are definitely very much uh, how they really would be. Um, at my book launch, I had some of my medical friends come and we were listening to when so my actress friend of mine read out the prologue um, and we were just listening to that. I think one of us had this. So I, this is the first time I've heard it read back to me. And I was like, this is exactly what happens in the hospital. I feel like I'm having a blow by blow of exactly <laughs> what happens. And then afterwards, my friends that used to be in the hospital as well, they were like, we're having flashbacks to A&E. This is exactly <laughs> how it was. So, yeah, it, some bits definitely are accurate. Well, that's a good sign if people are if people are getting kind of uh, flashbacks to to work when they well maybe not if they want to escape work but you know it's <laughs> a good thing that it's realistic. <laughs> yeah, I think this is where like you can't sometimes recognize your own work because mm. for a non medical person that would be really interesting to, for it to be very much like that. But for when I was listening to oh, this is like being at work, <laughs> but only for well, yeah, today. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I kind of hope that their their day to day work is not like this book. Otherwise, there's lots of things going on in hospitals that we don't want, that we don't want to know about. But <laughs> very concerned. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we've spoken already about the kind of unreliable narrator element of this novel. So there's a, what I loved about this book is that there's such a a great balance you have between not really knowing who to trust in this novel, not knowing who's actually telling the truth. So do you hope that your readers will be guessing the whole way through about who killed Julia and everything that's happening in the hospital? I would like to think so, yeah. I definitely like to think people are guessing and don't see it coming. Mm. I think it's quite fun with this kind of book where you're like, the reader is picking up different things and thinking, oh, could it be this? Because they're like clues almost and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and then the ones that I really like is where it only really makes sense at the end. So you get a conclusion that you don't see coming and you're really surprised. But when you go back, it makes sense. Can you think about all the different things you might have picked up on? So that's ideally what I would like uh, people to feel, to be definitely questioning things and not being sure and then being surprised by the twists um, mm. but then feeling like they did all make sense or that they were kind of foreshadowed and you know, not that you knew they were coming, but that, that they made sense. Yeah, they didn't come completely out of the blue and you were thinking, what, where's that come from? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want it all to be quite cohesive. So when you were writing it, were there things that twists or elements elements of surprise that you hadn't planned for and they just kind of ideas that came to you and you thought oh that would be a great twist to have or a great moment to put in this novel 
Yeah, loads actually, um, because as I said, there was a different version of this before, and this was almost a rewrite, really. I would say this um, mm. final version of the book, and so lots of things happened there that I didn't really see coming. There's a whole subplot with um, the medical director Owen, and something that happens with him that, like, even now I'm like, where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> like that was okay, and then that led to loads of other things happening, and it really drove the story. Um, mm. So I like that type of writing when it just comes out of nowhere and you kind of go with it. Uh, so definitely you know, that was a surprise. Uh, the ending was, I so I had a, an idea for the ending from the beginning and even in the old drafts, the ending was very, very similar. Like some of it is word for word, again, the same, like the prologue in the final chapter. But I just had to tweak a little bit of it to fit what else had happened before. Um, so there was definitely some surprises, but it still came to a similar kind of yeah so it came to similar resolution I would say at the end mm. um the very final chapter is was also a surprise like I didn't really see that coming I confess that wasn't entirely my idea that was my husband's idea of oh the wow we're gonna get we're gonna get him on to the uh, novel writing next really <laughs> <He's quite laughs> um, but we I talk through plot quite a lot with him oh, okay um, uh, so yeah he I think he just had this idea and then I was like oh, yeah that's quite a good idea mm. so I just moved into the final chapter that that final chapter is very juicy so thumbs up to your husband for that one <laughs> pass that one <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about this kind of big plot change that then that you had because you mentioned it in your acknowledgements that um, a lot of it had changed and developed in the editing process so can you talk to us a little bit about how that happened kind of did it happen with your agent or your editor and how did you feel about making kind of such big changes was that a really daunting thing to have to do I suppose the way that it happened I didn't realize it it's happened it's probably the best way like it's a bit it is very daunting if you can realize you're gonna to have to rewrite a whole book but I didn't think of it that way um I so I got selected for something called the rewrite academy which is an organization and they have a, a academy for I think there was 11 of us 10 or 11 of us um at that time and it was the first one and we were all working on a piece so it could be a novel or a collection of poetry or something like a long piece then we do feedbacks and things and critique each other's work so uh, you had to apply with an extract and this story uh, even though I already had my agent at that point for a different book um, this story really like I really wanted to write it even though you know I hadn't really done that much with it yet I couldn't really let go of the story so okay I want to work this one over so I applied with that and then I got selected into it so then I knew this is what I'll be working on but because it was a planned you know it was like a how many months was it maybe like a six months seven months something like that course so it didn't feel like right you have to go and rewrite a novel now but it was more like it was a project let's see what happens I didn't really I didn't really think of it as oh I'm going to get this published it was more like let's just work on the story that I like um, and see where it goes so it was um so it was good because we had the feedback sessions there that gave me like deadlines to be like I need to get this ready things like that I did work on it a lot with my agent as well so we kind of uh, there was to start with I think I had a couple of chapters um and then a synopsis and then we kind of went through it and thought about where to focus things and stuff like that so it became more like let's focus on the two female doctors rather than there was two different points of view before there was a male point of view and that character's not in it at all and there was Rhea's point of view and we kind of thought let's focus more on these two and their relationship Mm -hmm. so 
we had yeah so i had a guiding i had an idea of changes um but it wasn't like yeah it wasn't too daunting it was very much a step-by-step process so you lost an entire character and their story wow yeah, lost the whole character. <laughs> yeah 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 but this the story that i had the version of it that it was before like i tried i think i had submitted to a few places but nothing really happened i got i think that i was long listed for london writers Award and stuff like that but not like you know with agents and stuff i hadn't really got anywhere from this point of view so i think that character was a problem and i think he had to go so right. then the changes <laughs> so you have got no you you don't kind of there's nothing in your heart that's kind of sad that that character's gone you're like no that's the right decision oh yeah definitely I look back and I'm like he wasn't a bit ridiculous ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So what do you like then as a, as a planner? Are you someone that has your novel kind of all plotted out or do you kind of, are you a, a, what we call a pantser? What's your, what's your process there? I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm a, I've heard it called planter, which is a bit of a weird (laughs) term. Um, I'm a flexible plotter, I would say. So I do really Mm -hmm. like to plot because I think just for, efficiency wise sometimes it's it's better that way for me anyway uh I used to do it the other way where you just write and see where it goes but I think it's I much prefer to have an idea of where I'm going I often know the ending I know the beginning and ending but maybe not every single thing that happens in between but I would try try to make a plot of how to get from the beginning to the end but then often it just goes off into different directions so mm-hmm. then I'd have to replot and things um but I do use a spreadsheet at some point 
don't love it, but it is effective. Um, maybe by about the middle, when I really have a good idea, when I've done, yeah, like say half of the draft, I've really got a good idea of what's going on. Then I do a spreadsheet and try and figure out like what each character's doing, what their motivations, what needs to change, stuff like that. Mm. So a bit of both. Do you think your process has changed now you've already written a book? Do you think now you're more of a planner than you were or, or hasn't it really changed you're sort of the same kind of writer do you mean since having the debut on yeah or? yeah or just uh, just the fact that you've written a whole book do you think that you're do you think it's changed your process at all do you think you've kind of because I know you're writing something new now has, has that has that changed how you've approached that or not I'm starting to realise I think each book is different in the way that you approach it. So the one that I'm working on now is quite, there's different points of view and it's a bit, quite a bit complicated structure. So I haven't actually got started the spreadsheet for that one. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with different um, sections. But I think it's my writing, like my planning style has definitely changed since I first started writing. Um, maybe through writing this debut, I kind of know what works. I would mm. say that. So what the way that I plotted this I think is what I kind of aim to do or start to do with my other book um because I used to kind of just write a chapter and then you know maybe edit that chapter before going on to the next one and not really having a plan for what was going on and that's not at all efficient because you end up spending <laughs> I'd edit something for a while which ended up mm. being cut anyway so it's changed in that way yeah and I think yeah no you're right the process that I used to finish a book I kind of know that works so <laughs> Yeah, success story there. So you kind of mentioned already that you already had an agent when you were starting to write this novel. So maybe you can tell us about how you got your agent. Yeah, so my agent I got with a different project, which is a YA book about parkour, completely different. Um, Yeah, so I signed with her for that. Um, So what I I did something called the Curtis Brown Writing Studio, uh, which was just for YA writers. Um, And so I wrote a lot of that project on that. And then they had a thing where you can send in some of your work to like the agents there they will like tell you which one we best off like that so I did that so I sent it to Izzy that way um and then at the same time I did like cold submissions or the slush file or whatever you want to call it so I went through oh is it the association of authors agents maybe that website and I kind of like looked at other writers that represent similar staff things like that and I found some like a list of agents and I submitted them at the same time so I got with the one that I sent to Kurtzbrand, I got an email quite quickly from uh, them saying, oh, we really like it, we're reading and things. Um, and then one of the ones from the um, cold submissions got back and said, oh, can we have a full manuscript? And then really quickly, they were like, oh, we love it, would you come in and meet us? So I met them and they were really nice and they offered representation. So then I uh, did the thing where I uh, let the other people know who had the full manuscript. Yeah, I think I had a few more full manuscripts requests by that point. So the ones, um, yeah, like top of my list people, I let them know as well that I'd had to offer representation. So then after that, I had two more offers. So I met all three of them and I ended up signing with Izzy, who's my agent now. And did she know that you had ambitions to write adult fiction as well when you signed with her? 
Yeah, she did. Uh, so with all of them, they asked, what else are you working on? And I mentioned the story and they were like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. And Daisy really liked the sound of it. Um, so, yeah, she knew that I had this in mind from the start. So I think it's good to, if you have different genre projects when you sign with an agent, just to let them know from the start and mm. see what they think. So luckily she was really open to representing something with the adult project, which at that time I don't think she did much of. Yeah. Um, so, so what yeah. was it about your conversations with the agents that kind of made you make that decision? What was it about your conversation with Izzy that you thought she's the one? So I thought, it, so they were all really nice, but I think with Izzy, she really understood the story and the kind of, so we talked about the kind of changes to make, to YA edit, stuff like that. Um, and then where she was thinking of submitting it, things like that. And she seemed to really understand. We had a similar vision for the story, I think. And I did really like that she uh, was open to say, you know, a psychological thriller, something outside of what she represented. I think that's really mm. nice. And agents really open to different projects. So yeah, I think we were kind of on the same wavelength about our projects and things. So yeah, it seemed like a good option. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like to go on submission with Delhi Cure? Did you hear back quickly? How long did you, how long between kind of signing with your agent and or even finishing the novel and getting the book deal? How long did that take? Can you remember? Um, so I was really lucky with this one, I would say. Um, so we, I finished the book in September um, and then probably went on submission really soon after that. When I say finished, like there was drafts of it, but that was the final, the finished version. And then, yeah, went on submission quite soon after. And then October, like middle of October. So I think two weeks after uh, oh, we wow. had a deal. Yeah, it was quite quick. We heard that really quickly from um, Jade, the editor, to say I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to share it with my team and things. And then there was a couple of, um, they had to have their like, meetings and then a couple mm. of meetings so after that so I think it was about two weeks but it was it, in the scheme of things that's really quick but it yeah. was really stressful because you know <laughs> somebody likes it and I'm like oh god I hope the rest of the people mm. in the team like it and yeah so yeah. it's quite agonizing yeah. waiting for the outcome of those meetings yes yeah, so I remember it well refreshing the emails constantly thinking yeah. do I want to look do I not want to look <laughs> Yeah, it was almost like, oh, God, do I want to look? Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I was definitely lucky with this one, uh, not having to wait months and months. Mm. Um, yeah, to do come back really quickly. And then, yeah, I remember I was in Gap, <laughs> Baby Gap, <laughs> my little one, when this email came through, because I think the whole day I'd been, I knew that they were going to come back to us and I was just really <laughs> stressed about it. So I went for a workout and I was thinking about it during my workout and I came out and I'm like, God, and I took my uh, little one to Baby Gap to return a coat and then I got this email from Izzy going I'm really happy to say I've got this news back yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's one of those one of those days where you think I can always remember where I was what I was doing before and it just it's one of those life-changing moments isn't it so uh, yeah at least you've got a baby gap story to tell with yours yes it was very late in the day as well it was like nearly six or something so mm. by that point I think I you think okay we're surely they're finished now and I'm gonna have to wait till tomorrow so yeah <laughs> it's a stressful time but no I definitely was lucky with the speed mm. yeah two weeks that's incredible so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you fit writing in around your life you obviously got an incredibly demanding and stressful job I know you're a mom as well how do you kind of I mean your job must take up a lot of your headspace and your time so how do you fit your writing in around that 
Yeah, it does take up headspace. But I think the good thing about writing, it can be really escapist. So sometimes it's nice to just escape into a story, which is nothing like your work. It's quite good to like, de-stress in that way. Um, I just found that I have to use little pockets of time where I can. So um, things like, yeah, I used to, when I was working full time before I had my little one, I would write on, say on my commute, if I had like 15, 20 minutes on Evernote on my phone, um, so I'd really, yeah, if anyone's in a similar position where they're trying to, or when they don't have a lot of time to do stuff, I'd recommend something like that, like a mobile, if you can write on the phone, you want to, then um, something like that. Um, so that was really helpful because then it would sync up with my laptop. So when I had time to do it properly, I could um, just work on what I'd already started. So yeah, things like that, just using short spaces of time. Um, and yeah, with when I have my little one, it would be things like working nap time, working off she'd gone to sleep or um yeah, or having like my husband look after her a little bit in the evening after work, so then I could do some more things like that. Just really trying to it's also just trying to be efficient, I think. Like this is why I couldn't do the way I used to do before. I'd be editing different sections <laughs> and I end up being cut. There's no time for that. So I have to, and having a plot and things like that, just being efficient about it when I'm doing it. Well, you've given us a great bit of advice there for people who maybe don't have as much time to dedicate to their writing as they'd like. But I was wondering whether you could share uh, three top tips for other writers who are attempting to write their first novel or have already begun. Yeah, so they're kind of, uh, yeah, so one, the first bit of advice will be to go with that, will be just little bits every day does add up. So even if you think I haven't got any time, just use 10 minutes, like just try and do something like a writing sprint for just, which basically means if anyone doesn't know, just write as much as you can during that 10 minutes at a time. I don't think about what you're writing, just do it. And then you'll be surprised what comes out of that. You might get a good few words and that, that 10 minutes is all you have. Um, and then if you do that every day, you're going to get quite a lot. It does definitely add up. Um, so that's one, I would say. Um, and then the second thing is, so I've learned that rejection is inevitable in this industry at every level, even really high up, but really famous also read that they still have it. So I would say maybe embrace it or at least accept that as part of the process, because then it's just know that it's not personal. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the work. It's just that it's a very subjective industry, as as we know. Um, so it's really a case of remembering that and not feeling bad and just keeping going. And if you do just keep trying, then it usually does work out. Maybe changing what you're not always doing the same thing, but um yeah just keep going and don't kind of be disheartened by rejection because it's mm. part of the process um and to go with that my third bit of advice would be to then embrace the community writing community and writing friends um because that would help you to deal with the like the harder parts of it like the rejection you can vent to each other and share each other's work and just talk about it. it's a very unique industry and a unique thing to be part of so to kind of really I support other writers and like, embrace the community and be able to yeah help each other support each other during you know, the process of, of debut and beyond really or just even mm-hmm. just starting from scratch writing your novel it's really nice to do that and have people to vent to about it who understand <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely it helps it's such an emotional job isn't it really to because you are putting yourself out there and it's very personal what you write so I think it's helpful particularly like you say when you get rejections and like you say you get rejections all the time be it from agents editors um whoever and it's that thing of kind of keeping going and having faith in your own work so 
we've already talked about how Deadly Cure is Grey's Anatomy gone wrong, but I was wondering whether you can give us any other comparisons, maybe some novels or TV. What do you what do you think? Uh, who do you think would enjoy Deadly Cure? I can give you the comparisons that my agent and my publisher used to pitch, which would mm-hmm. be Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides, because uh, it's another hospital setting and it's kind of a mystery yeah, hospital based. Um, and then what was the other one? It was Oh My Sister the Serial Killer, because uh, there's a very toxic relationship between two, uh, between the sisters in that. Mm-hmm. So similar vibes, I would say, to those. Um, those are, yeah, I would, probably are the main comparisons I can think of. But I would put it in the category of this is, again, I mean, I just said it was, it was a fun thriller. And I would mm. agree that's the kind of thriller that I like. So if, some, if anyone who likes fun thrillers, fun escapist ones, um, not like, I hope it wouldn't leave people feeling really super depressed afterwards, because there are some that which are really, really sweet to read afterwards. Oh God, that's really sad. Um, But I like ones which aren't like that, which are more, with have lots of fun elements. So if Mm. you like that kind of thriller, this this will be for you. Definitely. I can see this being a perfect holiday read. Like if you're on a plane or whatever, your your journey would just fly by reading this book. So I definitely, definitely think it's a, a fun one to read. Oh, thank you. So we've, briefly mentioned it already but can you give us a little teaser about what you're working on next yeah so I'm working on another psychological thriller this one's set in Sri Lanka uh, so I'm Sri Lankan and the protagonist in this book she's a British Sri Lankan surgeon who makes a um, massive surgical mistake that results in the death of a patient and then everything just goes wrong from there like her life just spirals so she decides she can have an escape completely resigns from her job and she goes to kind of go back, goes back to her roots so she goes to Sri Lanka to go traveling um, and she um, to fund this gets the job as a caretaker for a creepy bank building well she doesn't know it's creepy at the time I suppose <laughs> um, but this kind of this bank building that was damaged by fire and um, she's just told that she needs to just uh, just caretake for a couple of weeks until some builders come in to turn into apartments. So she and her best friend go there, but they find it's not really as as advertised. Um, and she gets sucked into a mystery there. There's um, a painting of a woman that possibly died there. And there's a mystery around the people that own the bank and the sun. And she gets drawn into all this, basically. Well, that sounds great. You obviously love a creepy building. <laughs> apparently, I didn't know this myself, but apparently I do. I think there's a lot there with these kind of creepy settings um, that you can really, yeah, it can inspire a lot of like, plot twists and, yeah, just um, the atmosphere. Like, there's a lot to write about, I think, for this kind of genre in those. Mm-hmm. And this one is got, it's more of a gothic feel. It's a really different feel than um, Deadly Cure, I would say. But, yeah, same creepy creepiness in the building (laughs) that sounds really interesting well thank you so much Mahi for joining me on the podcast today well thank you for having me it was really nice to talk to you that was Mahi Cheshire talking about her psychological suspense debut Deadly Cure which is out now and available to buy thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already it'd be great if you could leave me a review see you next time Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.